0: Unbelievable. J.M. and A.M. Thursday. Ah, Yom HaShoah. and I say ah the way I just said because I realize that Leon Goldenberg has arrived, and I thank him. Don't mean to uh, jump him on the air like this, but uh, he's been gracious enough to come in and uh, spend a few minutes on this Yom HaShoah. Last year he was here in an appearance that made quite an impact on this audience, and we were hoping that we'd get his... Feelings and thoughts as we now stand at Yom HaShoah 5778. Just bring that microphone to you, Leon. And Leon Goldenberg, welcome back to JM in the AM.
1: Thank you for having me again.
0: Um, one of the... So many different topics, so many different uh, aspects to Yom HaShoah and to, uh, in your case, being the child of survivors. yes. I posed this question the other day to one of our guests about growing up in the quote unquote, this is not an evaluation, this is a reality because we're in America, growing up in comparatively the lap of luxury, right? No matter who you are in America, you are growing up in the lap of luxury compared to, compared what, to, what, compared to what your parents went through.
1: Not what they went through, what they lived. In other words, we have this, this memory. Right, even what they lived, right, correct. You know, everybody says, oh, it's so nice in the old country. Right. It was, it was not so nice. Some people had it better and some people had it tougher. More people had it tougher there than have it here. It's just that most people didn't realize how poverty-stricken they were. Right?
0: You know, it was, it's interesting. When I, would, yeah. when I would bring certain things to my father's attention and his background, you're familiar with all the things he went through in his life. When I would bring difficult situations to his attention, not that he would make light of it, but in his mind he would compare it to what was really serious situations right. in his childhood. And that's what you're alluding right.
1: to. Right. Just to give you one story from yeah. my mother. She was born in 1916. When she was four years old, her grandfather passed away. And when her grandfather passed away, her parents sent her to her grandmother so that the grandmother shouldn't be alone. And... Four of her uncles had come to America, aunts and uncles had come to America, and they were sending back a dollar a month to my uh, great-grandmother. And that made her into an Aesha, into a rich person. So she built this big house, and my mother came from a, a town, not a tiny town, but a small town, although the shore when I went there, looks like it holds 500 people, called Kirahas in uh, when she was born was Hungary, then Czechoslovakia, Soviet Union, and today the Ukraine. So she was living with her grandmother. And her grandmother, because she became rich on this dollar a month that was coming, I'm not sure from all of the aunts and uncles of not. decided she had to give back. So in our house, in our kitchen, she had a stew cooking all day for people that came from the little villages, the real little villages, the Darflach, where the unemployment was probably 80%. And the poverty was enormous. And these people used to come every single day to Kirahaz and to the other larger towns, going door to door, asking people for a, a turnip, a potato, not, God forbid, a piece of meat. Right. Although my grandfather was a butcher, and he used to give them, he used to take the fat. I don't know how, you know, how we would look at it today, but then it was a big deal. He took all the fat, and he cut it into pieces so that everybody can have a meat, a sugar, a chalant. Otherwise, they wouldn't even have, there was no such thing as putting meat and chicken in. And some of my mother's memories of helping her grandmother serve were that people who walked around all day, all day long, getting a potato here, a turnip there, something else there, you know, if they were lucky, they would get, you know, a pepper or something. Some of them came to town with rags tied around their feet because they didn't have shoes. And they walked sometimes two to three miles just to get to town. And then they walked around town all day going from person to person, to collect what they could.
0: Just to survive.
1: Just to survive. And whatever they brought home, that one meal, whatever they brought home, that was the only meal that the family ate every single day. And if they didn't succeed, there was no food. And so my great-grandmother had the stew cooking all day. And these uh, beggars, and that's what they were, but they were all, you know, most of them were married with families. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, uh, some somebody that was drunk or something would come there and my mother at four five years old would serve them the stew and you know from this big pot that's what poverty was like
0: how old was your mother when she arrived in this country
1: um she was she arrived in 1949 so she was 43 she was with two children uh, that were born in the DP camps uh, where my mother met my father and uh, and then they arrived here 19 they got married in 1947. And two years later, they came with two kids already.
0: Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, Leon Goldenberg is here on this Yom Hashoah. Not to make too much light of it, but you know, in 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 the world of Pesach programs and massive kosher supermarkets with a lot of kosher meat, <laughs> right? That's for sure. Do you remember her ever? talking about that the differences the the how on earth could people complain when they have all of this any of that ever she come up
1: she didn't talk about that we were definitely uh, growing up as a young child we were definitely just uh, again my my we they arrived in 1949 right. uh, I'm a landlord so it's a little difficult <laughs> to talk about but rent control had just come in and it was impossible to get an apartment. And you actually had to pay landlords money under the table to get an apartment.
0: This was in what neighborhood? We lived
1: in the Bronx. We had an uncle uh, that arrived before the war, and he brought the entire family to the Bronx. And eventually, most of us scattered from there. But we arrived in the Bronx, and my parents got an apartment that was $40 rent. And you had to pay $2,000 under the table to the landlord to get the apartment.
0: For the right to rent it.
1: For the right to rent it because it was rent controlled and he said rent should be higher. My father's first job, which he got from somebody that came from the old country and was in a grocery store, where she told her husband, even though the store was open on Shabbos, but because my father was the Rav's nephew, that he will not work on Shabbos and he still has to hire him. And she had come from a very prominent uh, family, and eventually she became Shomer Shabbos again. So my father worked went in Shabbos night, worked till an hour before Friday to make $15 a week, and paid $40 rent. So he paid, so it was pretty poverty, but there was always, I guess we didn't realize what we were lacking, because right. it seemed normal, and Some would say you were lacking nothing. But. Right, right. But she she always had tremendous gratitude to America for giving them the opportunity to come, to succeed in America, not, you know, uh, wildly succeed, but to bring up a family. And she would compare it to, you know, there were times when she would compare it to what went on and when she would talk about the poverty that existed, although my mother's family... Uh, I would say lower, lower, middle income, or you know, just above poverty, but not, you know, they never lived in poverty because my grandfather was a butcher, so there was always, you know, right. food in in the house, and they uh, had chickens in the back, and they uh, grew vegetables, so it was uh, in relatively a, a a nice existence for what really went on in a lot of those areas.
0: Leon Goldenberg is here now. Uh you said it earlier, so I know the answer, but I'll ask anyway for the purpose of the conversation. You have visited a lot of Eastern Europe, correct? I've visited
1: a lot of Eastern including Europe. Including
0: the hometowns of your parents. Yes. And yes. including, I assume, the concentration camps.
1: Yes, including going back with my mother. I took my mother back in nineteen ninety
0: five. So she would have been how old in nineteen ninety five? She was, was, how old in she was
1: uh seventy nine.
0: And she goes where with you?
1: So if we go first, we land in Budapest, and then you have to take these. In those days, you had to take a car from Budapest. There was no way to cross the border. Uh, there was no flights into, into those areas. It's still not. People still go through Budapest. And her town, her hometown, was very disturbing for her. Um, I had been there four years earlier, and the cemetery, and my, my grandfather had this I hate to use this word, of dying, when they told him that his uh, one of his sons had been beaten to death actually by a capo on the Russian front uh, when they uh, gave him the news he had a very bad heart and he he just collapsed he, he collapsed he got very sick and in a few days he was mm-hmm. gone. Why was he lucky because for the, they put up his Matsva to 21 days the monument and for the Shaloshim for the thirtieth uh, day which you know was a major uh, issued by us, uh, they were already in the ghetto, they were already taken to the ghetto. So he had this chus, he had the privilege of, of course, of being buried as a Jew. And her last memory was going to the Matzeva Stelling to when they put up the, the monument, and she had four grandfathers buried right next to my grandfather. And that was you know she always used to go to her grandfather's you know to 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 pray for mm-hmm. for them for everything that was going on and so now there were five grandfathers next to each other, and she was insisting that she would know where they were buried and I was there, and there were houses and roads that didn't exist mm. and stones from the cemetery had been taken out and used. As uh, sidewalks, and used as uh, in in as landscaping in people's front yards. I saw one actually in a foundation of a house, so I knew it wouldn't be there. And the people I came from there, the children, we built a gate all around the cemetery, but we could only build around what uh, you know where the road was, and we didn't know exactly where it. Began and end. There were only a half a dozen stones left, and when I brought her back, and she was sure she was going to be able to tell me, "Here's my father. Here's Zaidalib. Here's Zaider uh, uh, Shmuel Yehuda," and here, you know, and put them all there, and line them up one after, and she couldn't recognize it because this road didn't exist, that house didn't exist. And she was very, very upset, and then we went to her house.
0: How far was it from the cemetery?
1: Not far. And, of course, the people said, no, we're living here, generations, you know, which is bogus, and wouldn't let us in. And she couldn't be 100% sure it was the house because it was, you know, a little paint, a little this, and she's insistent that, no, my father, my grandfather, we're living here, you know, forever. She was very upset, and she said, let's leave, and we ran. We we literally left Kirahaz, but when we arrived in Auschwitz a couple of days later, where she had spent time in, uh, you know, as a uh, as a prisoner, when we arrived there, she was like very calm, and I was there with my daughter, one of my daughters, my youngest daughter, and my niece, and she took us through. The barracks where she was in to show us exactly where she was. She remembered the whole thing. Yes, Teylaga, which is how she called it. She told us stories that we didn't know at that point. That when it came home here from my aunt who passed away uh, just over a year ago, uh, she was always the a one, even you know back home. But when she and she had uh, gotten married, so she was living in a different city, Khost, for those that know it. So she came to Chosrov, right? yeah, yeah, She came there a few days early, a few weeks earlier, a few days earlier. And when the other sisters arrived, the other three sisters, she was, she was there waiting for them. And she was the oldest sister, and she was in charge. And when it came Yom Kippur, she said, "We're not eating." And one of my aunts said, "What do you mean we're not eating? We get this little soup." One piece of bread that you get that you share with us. And he said, "Young Kipper, we're not eating," and they didn't eat, and they didn't eat. Um, there was another one that passed away very recently, who uh, told me she came to, she came to my mother's funeral. She came to um, my uh, to the shiva. And she said they were 35 to 40 young girls in the camp, in the same bunk with my mother and her sisters. And when I say young, these are girls that were 14, 15 years old, whose families had been wiped out. They're separated from their fathers if they were alive. They're separated from their brothers. But their mothers and any sisters were killed out, and they were all alone. And you can imagine at that age being in, in a camp. And my mother and her sisters became the then mothers to take care of these women. I remember you telling us right.
0: this. How do you explain her calm at Auschwitz?
1: I really can't. I really can't. I wish I could tell you that. You just observed it. I just observed it. She just talked about uh, never what she did for other people, about what people did for her how the, the, the night that they fasted, the blockmaster put away soup for the women that fasted. Wow. How the blockmaster, one she, uh, she had warned him not to go to a certain place, and the four sisters were taken, and she comes into the other place where it happened to be, her sister-in-law was the blockmaster there, and she said, you stupid Hungarian girls, didn't I tell you not to come here? do you know what this is? And, you know, they were innocent, and they said, no. He says, this is where they take you, and they're burning you tomorrow. They're gassing you tomorrow from this. And then she says to her sister, I cannot let these girls die. They're young, they're vibrant, they're strong. I cannot let them die. And she snuck them out. And she snuck them out and brought them back. These are some of the stories that she told us then, even though she spoke about the war, but,
0: you know, Uh, And you stood in the actual barracks that she stayed in. Um, Did she express how lucky she was to have survived? Did she understand, and I use that word in quotation marks, just how the odds, how high the odds were against someone in her situation actually surviving?
1: She... uh... There was when she was sitting shiver for one of her sisters, one of the four sisters, my nephew came over, and he says to her, Bobby, Bobby, tell me, what did you do that you survived? Uh. And my mother looks at him and says, what did I do? He says, but Bobby, there must have been something, something that you
0: did. <laughs>
1: I remember he was like, you know, he was so probing (laughs) yeah probing and she says and she was at that time well past 90 and he says i what did i do and again he asked her a third time and i wanted to smack him you know (laughs) and she says i and then she looks up he he wanted me to survive he wanted me to survive and he made the decision that i would survive and you know why do you know why he wanted me to survive He gave me one purpose in life, and that was to bring Dyrus, to bring generations on this world. And then she looked at me and said, did I do okay? I said, besides him, you did phenomenal. (laughs)
0: Leon Goldenberg is here. Always an amazing presentation all the time, but especially on Yom HaShoah. She passed away at the age of? 99 and a half. Wow.
1: And her oldest sister... The one that led the family passed away at 102 and a half.
0: Unbelievable. Who would have thought that with everything they were and going through? I have through one
1: the- granddaughter named after both of them. Unbelievable. Um. And the last sister I'm going to visit Sunday, she's not doing well. But there's still a sister. Around. There's still one sister. She's 96 and uh, she lives in Boulder, Colorado. And Sunday I'm going
0: to visit her. And uh Where were you in elementary school? In Samus. The reason I ask, is I always make this point, and we made this point a little earlier with one of our guests, I, I assume the majority of kids your age did not have grandparents. It was so strange. We didn't realize... That you could have that a... That you're supposed to have Right, that your parent could have a parent. Right. right,
1: it was just there were only two people that I knew... That had grandparents. That had a grandparent... And we thought that was strange. You actually have a grandmother? I had a cousin that had a grandmother.
0: And when your mother was in her late 90s, she must have been at Simcha's with multiple generations. Multiple, really multiple generation, right. I mean, five she or only more.
1: She only got to four. the four. Her fourth, her first great-grandchild had gotten married before she passed away. Uh, he was actually married a year, but did not have at that point a great-grandchild. Well, my mother-in-law, who's only 90... Uh, last night we were at a Vart, uh, for her 15th great grandchild to get, that's going to be getting married, her 15th great grandchild. She has, I'm not even really sure, but I I would say at least 15 to 20 great, great grandchildren.
0: So you are always at events with five generations. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. yes, We painted the picture earlier how rare it is. Not for you.
1: No, not, (laughs) not anymore. But for them- for us growing up it was uh, i'll tell you a cute story i was in second grade and i got friendly with a kid and in tarasemis the mothers used to come my mother used to come also and and serve lunch prepare lunch help set it up and serve lunch and i got friendly with this boy and his mother came to uh uh, serve lunch and after lunch she says this is my new friend this is leon and she asked me this question where do you live and she walks away and i said where did your mother learn to speak a fluent english <laughs> he says what do you mean he says your mother speaks a fluent english said, my mother my mother was born here i said there's no such thing as a mommy born in america <laughs> There's no such thing. There are no mommies born in America. I had never heard a grown-up speaking without an accent. So the idea of of grandparents,
0: non-existent, non-existent. Unbelievable. I'm going to add that uh, that no, ma- no mommy grew up in America to my repertoire as I right. try to remind people in the younger generation that they don't realize what they have. They don't realize. They're, that they're at these events, and it's a natural, not only one grandparent, that all their grandparents Grandparents are are there
1: there. right right nobody had we went to there was there was in our family there were friends that were of the previous generation that my mother would help take care of you know uh sometimes cook for them or whatever but they were you know who didn't have children who never had children or maybe their children died you know in the war they were just an anomaly anybody that was that was gray an anomaly.
0: Have any of your uh, have any of your mother's great grandchildren been to Auschwitz to visit?
1: Uh, I don't. A few of them probably. They yes, probably have yes, already. Yes, I'm actually working on a trip for I was going to do it this summer. is with camps; you got to plan in advance. Right. But next summer, I'm planning to take my children and the older grandchildren, which there are, you know, quite a few, uh, on a trip to. The old city and to Auschwitz and everything else, and uh, take the entire family, uh, at least the ones that are debating, but probably somewhere over twelve, uh, you know, maybe if if some of them are a little bit younger but are are more mature, I would take them also and take them all, let them see where we come from, how they lived, and how they suffered, and how they came out. And I think I had a normal upbringing. There was never a time that I felt that my mother, she would always. Nothing lacking, right? Nothing lacking. I had to eat. Do you know what I would have done for that, for a peel, and you're not eating your... Uh, <laughs> oh, so, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> but that was, that was about it. You, was no, you
0: better finish everything right. on your plate, right? And That was the only time right. that
1: she... I mean, she spoke about the war. My father right. did. Right, but that
0: she referenced it directly to you. Right? To, to me. Right. Other
1: than that, there was no wow. no such thing as... as in other words, I didn't feel deprived. I didn't feel I was living in some sort of a horror, and that I had to be protected because... She definitely uh, didn't let us go to camps, and which, but we were poor. Right. We couldn't really afford it.
0: Leon Goldenberg, you're one of the community leaders that always reminds us how important it is to remember, and I really appreciate you coming by today. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for having me. Yama Shoah 5778, Leon Goldenberg and all of our guests this morning reminding all of us that there are so many messages, so many important things to remember on this Yom HaShoah. Hey, Nubi Yisrael and Achim, Achim, Achim brothers and sisters in Israel. We are with you. at your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world in the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the Nahum Siegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Tomorrow, Malcolm Honline, 7.40 Eastern Time. He'll be with us starting at 7.40 Eastern Time. By the way, I should mention... As a courtesy, certainly Leon is on 570. For those of you in the New York, New Jersey area, Leon's on 570 on the AM dial, 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock? Oh, 620. I'm sorry. 620 on the AM dial at, what did you say, 10 o'clock? Uh,
1: I have Eric Gonzalez on
0: the air. Eric Gonzalez joins Leon at 10 o'clock this coming Saturday night, AM, 620 on the air. Uh, you can enjoy his uh, Community uh, Matters program each and every week. Tomorrow, Malcolm, home line 740 Eastern Time. Make sure to join us. Plenty coming up now as we continue our Yom HaShoah here on the Nahum Segal Network, including Miriam Wallach at 1030 when she speaks with Sally Shotskis, drama therapist and founder of Witness Theater. Speak to you next during our live lunch at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Till tomorrow, Nahum Segal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.